First Corinthians chapter seven, verses twenty-five through forty, is what we've been studying. While you are turning there, I will remind you that this evening is the last evening that my daughter will be sharing her pictures from Israel. Uh, we get to look at the Negev and uh, Galilee. Uh, I would really encourage you. I'm not sure when she was in the Galilee. When I was in the Galilee, uh, I was stunned by how lush it was. Uh, green. Um, I can't even describe it. it. It doesn't fit terms that I... It's not what I was expecting. I was expecting desert. Uh, and that it was lush and green and uh, banana groves and orange groves and grapes, vineyards and everywhere. And you just sort of, is it supposed to be like this or is this? And so, But I would encourage you to be a part of that this evening at 6.30. I want to read the full text of 25 through 40, but our focus will be point six, thirty-nine through 40. So you who are single, the oppression has ceased this day at the hearing of God's word. And we'll move into idolatry in a couple of weeks. All right, verse 25 through 40. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as of one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as those who have none. And those who weep as though, as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of this world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. 
So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to marry, to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But, in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Father, we come now to seek you. We come now to ask for your wisdom. We come now that your Spirit in us will strengthen us for the task that is at hand, will comfort us in the things that are coming against us, that will counsel us in the walk that is before us. Father, will purify us, will bear much fruit in us, and that, Father, your power would overwhelm us, and that, Father, with great joy and anticipation for the amazing things we know that you are about. Father, that you will accomplish in us individually. And Father, in your bride to your son, your church. To you and you alone, my King, in Christ's name, amen. We're concluding the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians. And the text is basically dealing with the issue of marriage and singleness in the church at the time of the writing of this letter to the church in Corinth. All right? Corinth was a nasty place. Uh, Corinth had a reputation, uh, an amazing reputation that had grown in such a way that if you were promiscuous, it was you were called, um, you were Corinthianizing because that is what Corinth based itself on. You also have a clash of cultures. You have the Greek culture. You have the Jewish culture. And then you drop right smack dab in the middle of it. The church. Okay, and the church is separate. The church is made up of Jew and Gentiles. But you could have the Greek culture, which was Gentiles. The Jewish culture, which was Judaism. So you had this fervent religious group. And you had this other freedom group that they called themselves and those people were literally becoming new creations in Christ. And when we come into the church, they were bringing all this understanding and all of this past, what do we call it, baggage, into the church, and they were struggling with it. And there was a contradiction that was happening. The Jews who were coming to the Lord Jesus Christ believed that it was a mandate of God to marry. The Gentiles who would come in out of the culture of Corinth and the horror of sexual immorality and homosexuality and uh, the feminist movement and all the rest of it, they would come in thinking, you know what? I believe it's better to stay single. And so you had a clash that was coming, and this was part of the division that was causing strife in the church in Corinth. So the Apostle Paul takes chapter 7, and he deals with it. And he deals with it straight up front. He deals with it in a way that is from the Lord. And that's what we've been looking at in the conclusion of this text. And this, this context, beginning in verse 25, he showed you that there was a pressure in our society. 
And because of this coming distress, he says, this present distress, it is good to remain single. He's saying being single is not that big a deal. He says it is easier to remain single. Uh, I have watched in our communities, in our society, uh, what is going on with the war against terrorism. When I see uh, the loss of loved ones, when I see children lost, I had the a tragedy this week, a dear friend of mine's niece uh, died and she was less than a year old. And the trauma on the family that uh, ensues and uh, there's a lot of weird dynamics there. But uh, And to see that child and the grief that is there now. Um, I know that in Stephanie's case, her father is near in death. And, and the heartache that is there that we deal with, that is normal. It's just normal. But there's more than that because when you bring together two people in the covenant of love and the covenant of marriage, you're bringing two people who have to deal with their flesh on a daily basis. And that causes pressure. It says that your spirit is at war with the spirit of the living God. Now multiply it. Bring a, a spouse into the picture. Guess what? That spouse, he or she, flesh is warring with the spirit of the living God. And then we get really brilliant. We decide to regenerate and have children. And their flesh is rising up. And the heartache that is there, uh, my wife and I are praying for a young lady who grew up in the church. Her father is a preacher. Uh, she's fallen away from the church and has put herself into a place that is dangerous. And she, ra she was, well, she was raped. And now God is rattling her to say the least, and yet the heartache that is there, uh, the, the crushing overwhelmness that is there, I can't imagine what the father must think. Uh, I'm not even sure that the father knows. Uh, and yet you deal with that. And that's that present um, distress that is there. All of these things take us to the, to the left and to the right of where Christ is. They take us off center. We, we forget about what we're de what we're here for i think about just us who are gathered here today what distracts us and it's relationships uh, if we are married we think about how do we provide for our wives for our kids uh finances uh we have an election cycle coming up and everybody's kind of getting input on that and and we're dealing with this the stock market is down the stock market is up and how am i going to do this and how am i going to do this and uh, that is just all stuff that you just throw it into the mix and the apostle paul said you know what it's nasty Right now in christendom there are more christians giving their lives for the faith any time ever in the history of the church. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, it's only going to escalate. It is only going to escalate. If you think um, that you're not in persecution now, uh, I would really, I'd like to sit down and talk to you. If, and I'm talking about you individually. I'm not talking about the body of Christ or the church dynamic. I guarantee you right now, every single one of you who is truly saved in this fellowship is under spiritual attack. Some of you don't even know it. And if you do not think you're suffering for Christ right now, you, you hook up with me. We'll talk. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. And I can prove to you without a doubt that you're under spiritual affliction. But not only that, the problem of the flesh. flesh verse 28. The Apostle Paul says, I, I don't want you to have trouble in this life. Why? It's your flesh. 
It's your flesh. You wake up and there it is. And your flesh, you can beat it. Paul says, I box my body to bring it into submission. And every day you get up and you got, you know, I'm at, I'm at like around 985 now. Uh, you know, and I'm thinking 15 rounds would have been so much easier. And has anybody here ever dealt with this? You have something in your flesh that just keeps raising up and you just give an all-out assault on it and you defeat it. Okay, you have victory over it. Jesus gives you the victory over it. Right? About a month later, what happens? Boing! There it is. It doesn't quit, does it? You keep thinking, but I have victory over it. And Jesus says, yes, you have victory over it. And the flesh says, but I ain't quitting. I ain't quitting. And I, and I get tickled with it because people say, well, but I thought I had. You do have victory over it. You have victory over it. It doesn't mean it'll quit. It's just that you have victory over it. Don't let it master you. And it just raises back up and bam, comes back at you. All right? And then it comes at you from a different direction. It comes at you. Then you get that wonderful thing. You may get a cold. Isn't it great when you're not feeling good? What your flesh does with the spirit of the living God? Huh? And then it just jumps up and becomes like the world's greatest redneck. And it's all over you. And the spirit in you and you just in turmoil and you, and it's just a nasty, isn't it? It's just awful. All right, and then we won't even go into the other things. But that's our flesh, okay? Then marry somebody. And you go, yay, now I've multiplied it, okay? And it's, isn't it weird? Now, you guys who are married, you need to tell single people this. Isn't it that day, men, when you woke up, you had your quiet time, your prayer time, you and Jesus are just like this, just the Shekinah glory everywhere, and then your precious gift of God, your bride, wakes up. Okay? And she could care less about your Shekinah. Huh? And she just wants to grab you by the beard, in my case. Come here, I want to talk to you. Has anybody experienced that, or is that just... You know, I'm just, I just read about this. I, my wife would never, ever do that. I heard this somewhere. Okay? But have you ever done that? And so the two of you are not one. We've got the devil and God. <laughs> huh? And it happens both ways. It's like when you're on the spiritual mountaintop, they're not. And then all of a sudden, one day, they get on the spiritual not mountaintop, you're not. Okay, not only that, you want to knock them off the mountaintop because you remember that time when you was on the mountaintop and that's what they wanted to do to you. And I keep thinking, you know what? One day, we will be both on the spiritual mountaintop and then the rapture come, we won't even get to enjoy it. That's sort of depressing, right? 29 through 31, he dealt with this passing world. He says... At the conclusion of 31, he says, the form of this world is passing away. The schema, the system, it's passing away. But he says before that, time has been shortened. Time has been shortened. And it's true, we are at the end of the age. Christ is coming soon. Very soon. All right? But look at what I've already given you. There is a pressure in society. There's a problem with your flesh. And this world is passing and it is short. And he's basically there in those verses. He says, <clears throat> wives should be as though they have none. You should act like your wife. That relationship that you have in marriage, hold it loosely. 
Why? He's already said that it's been shortened. Maybe you won't get a 50-year marriage. Maybe you'll only get a very short marriage. Hold it loosely because if the Lord says your spouse is ready to come home, but I need you to stay, will you argue? Will you argue? I just got done reading a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it called The Invisible Hand of God by R.C. Sproul. He wrote it because his granddaughter was stillborn, carried nine months cesarean section. He said he brought her out of the operating room and their grandpa sit. And it just as he says, absolutely perfect child, fingers, toes, eyes, the whole nine yards, just one problem, no life. And he says, here I am, the great reformer. The guy who preaches sovereignty and predestination and election and all the rest of it. And the only thing that I could ask my God was, why did this happen? When I got done with the book, I wrote in the cover of it, right in the back where, that's where I keep all my notes. I wrote back there, what is the intent of God? Everything that happens in our lives, God has an intent, a purpose. I don't care how small it is. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how heart-wrenching it is. I don't care how joyous it is. God has an intent for everything that happens in your life. But understand this. It's been shortened. Because the scheme of this world is passing away. The system of this world is passing away. It's going away. Everything you see is fleeting, will not last. But he also speaks of weeping and rejoicing and buying and the use of the world. And he says, use the world, fine, no problem, but don't use it fully. Don't become a slave to it and hold it loosely. He says, when it comes to emotions, weeping and rejoicing, hold it loosely. Listen, I'm not against, the Bible's not against emotions. Guess where emotions came from? But we have a problem, and if you think about it, problems of the flesh, our flesh likes to take emotions and do what? Run amok, right? It does. And we like to take off and run emotions. If you do not believe me, listen to the political speeches that are coming out and documents that are coming out today. Everything there has absolutely no substance. Okay, and I'm talking about politics. I'm, not, I'm talking about whether it's the independents, the Republicans, or the Democrats. They're playing to one thing and one thing only. Emotions. Let me play to your emotions. But tell me truth. Well, but I will, but I want to play to your emotions. Because what happens with my emotions is I can skew truth to my emotions. Paul says, hold them loose. Why? Emotions is part of the system, part of the schema. Now, again, I'm not against emotions. That's not what he's saying. We have emotions. We are to grieve with those who are grieving, but we do not grieve of those who have no hope. We are to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Absolutely. But don't master you. Don't let it master you. Preoccupations of marriage, 32 through 35. He says this. Here's what happens. God created marriage. Six reasons to marry. I'm not going to go through them again. You'll have to get the tape. Uh, That we marry. This was his design. Okay? I planned this. This is how it should be done. And what happens is in marriage, there becomes a preoccupation, doesn't there? 
We as men, and I have to keep it from that perspective because that's what I are, is I have been raised, and multiple generations are, a successful husband, a successful father is this way. Okay? You will provide a house. Okay? Uh, At one time, they wanted carpet in the kitchen. Now you don't want carpet in the kitchen. You want hardwood floors in the kitchen. It used to be a one-car garage. Now I think it's up to 3.4-car garage or something to that effect. You were supposed to have X number of children. You have to have X number of weeks vacation. You have to have a retirement plan. You have to have a full package of medical and dental. Okay? If you did those things, you were a successful father, a successful husband. All right? I know all the men who are in this room right now have been pushed by that. That's what you're supposed to do. You, become, you get a career. You go do this. You go do that. And yet, none of that is biblical. None of it. Not only that, it is actually anti-biblical. All right? God says, seek my kingdom and my righteousness. I'll take care of the rest. You are the spiritual leaders of your family. You have no option in that, men. You, if you're a single man today, you are a spiritual leader. You are setting a precedent. But what happens when you get married? You become preoccupied. And that day when you're on the spiritual mountaintop and that beloved wife is not, you have to go down in that valley and hang out down there and try to draw her up out of that. So where is your focus? Preoccupation with the marriage. Your interest will be divided, Paul says in verse 34. Okay, it's not that that's wrong, okay, but it's shared. I don't want you to understand. I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, when I'm paying attention to my wife, I'm sinning against God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's divided. Why? That's the way God designed it. That's the way God designed it. See, here's what happens. And we've missed this as one of the six reasons to biblically marry. Okay? You know what it is? The wife is a helpmate. Okay? She's supposed to help. Okay, men don't want help. We don't. We don't ask for directions. We don't ask for directions when we're in the grocery store. Okay, and men don't go to the grocery store. We don't know where nothing's at. And so you see them all walking around. And they got that big old directory up there that I cheat on. Except when I'm looking for something that ain't on that board, I'm in trouble. All right, why? We don't want help. Why? Because we have always been told what? I am the leader. I'm supposed to be able to get this all dealt with. But you know what? God didn't create grocery stores. All right? But that's what happens. And how many men do they allow, actually allow to be their wives to be a helpmate? Here's, a, you know, one of the things, Church of the Brethren in uh, England, our elder rule. Okay, but you got to understand a very, very conservative. Uh, uh, their elder rule, but they will have what they call the teaching elder or the ruling elder. All right, the, and one of the two will be the quote unquote what you and I know as the pastor. When they bring that man in and they say he is the pastor, you know what his wife's title is? Pastor. Okay, now immediately everybody freaks out. Ah! Okay, the truth of the matter is, poimia, which is the word we get pastor is, is a verb. You know what it means? Shepherd. And I'll be honest with you, my wife shepherds with me. 
She is my helpmate. Uh, I cut their heads off and she tries to manage and make them feel better. <laughs> um, but uh, we're gifted different. Where I'm weak, she is strong, and that's why the two are one. And if, if, if she leaves, she has to take me with her. <laughs> All right? Because I think she can go on without me, but I, don't, I know I can't. All right? Also, the promises of the parents, verses 36 through 38. Uh, the, the, and I, we went through this in detail last week. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But it was basically marriages were arranged. And I'm going to tell the young people today, let me ask you a question. When you get ready to make decisions, where do you seek counsel? That's all I want to ask. When you decide that I want to go do this for a living, what counsel do you seek? When you decided I want to date this person, what counsel do you seek? And I guarantee you, most will not seek godly counsel. Okay? Why? It goes back to emotions and the buying and the selling of this things in this world. I look at this thing in this world and I want to take and do this, right? Just an observation. The only reason I know I can say that is because that's how I did my life. Why? Well, what do you know about love, Dad? You've been married for 400 years. Okay? I still, I don't know nothing about love. Ask my wife. Okay? But I, I think what's killing us today in our society, the church, the evangelical church today, is that our young people do not seek godly counsel. Why, why do we have to have groups of my age? You know, I've got to have a young marriage group. Why? Well, so we can all make the same mistakes that our parents already made. I don't understand that. Okay, or I've got a singles group. Okay, what is that? Well, it's singles. And they're going to teach each other what? Okay, you've got to have age differential. That don't work. If you're smart, you're young, you're going to find somebody who's got more gray hair. You want white hair. You don't want gray you want whitehead. Find the white-headed people and hang with them. Why? Been there, done that. They've got merit badges and some of the stuff that you're going to go through, they invented. Okay? And those are the people you want to go through. Those are the people you want to seek. Seek godly counsel. Seek godly men and women who have been there, who have done that, who have the scars, the heartache that this life has. Don't seek the lost. Don't seek the lost. They're basing their wisdom on what? A schema, a system that is coming to an end. All right? Now then, I want to conclude with verses 39 and 40. Okay? The sixth reason for remaining single is the permanency of marriage. Okay? I wrote a little note here. I put red highlighter on it because this is a, a you got to understand this one. When you get married, there's no turning back. Okay? It is in a lifetime arrangement. And most of you will say, well, duh. Um, you know, and I'll be honest with you, that's what I said, because when I read it, I said, well, why is this in here? Now, and I read some guys' commentaries, and they would say, well, this is in here to deal with widows and, and things like that. Uh, nope, I don't agree with that. It's another reason to remain single. Why? It's better off if you have the gift to stay single because once you're married, that's it. Okay? 
You've got to grab a hold of that. All right, if you're married, now listen, you please hear what I'm saying. If you're married and you're a Christian, there is only one way out. Hear what I just said. How many? No, but there's two. Uh-uh, there's one. One way out. Death do its part. Ah, but what about adultery? What about Hosea? Ask yourself a question. If you did marry in the Lord, you know what I just said? You married another Christian, how can they continue to commit adultery? If they fall into adultery, how can you as a Christian not forgive as you have been forgiven? Just a question. Just a question. Now, if they choose to non, be non-repentant and leave that married, you let them go. But when we start looking around, I hear people saying, I have watched in my life as a child of God, I have watched Christians treat the other one in such a way that the other one went and committed adultery and I didn't blame them. I no, I wouldn't. All right, because I looked at it and I thought, good Lord. And the reason was I can divorce this person if they commit adultery. So all I have to do is what? Drive them to adultery and my conscience is clean. And you think I'm kidding. I know five cases of that right now. Okay, five that I know right now where the opposite, the, the spouse drove the other person. Remember what we already looked at in chapter 6? Your body ain't your own when you're married. And if you go and start reading, I'm going to put qualifications on physical intimacy. It says you give the devil what? A foothold. And let me tell you something. He gets a foothold. What does that say? You give a, a, a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk. Okay, you give the devil a foothold, guess what? He'll want to drive. <laughs> Something like that. All right, or he'll put his foot on the accelerator. And you've got to understand that. I've seen this and I've seen this and I've seen this. All right? If you are able and you are gifted for singleness, exercise the gift. Because once you're married, that potential is completely gone. Hear what I just said. That potential is completely gone. It will never be grace to you ever again. Hear what I said? You can't say, well, I'm going to get married, but we're not going to be married for 10 years because some of us are going to die. You can't do that. Once you give up your singleness, once you give up that potential to be absolutely, wholly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, once you get married, that's gone history and that's what the apostle paul is trying to get across here he's saying listen if you're single and you're thinking about getting married you better think about it real long you better think about it real hard why are you holding your emotions lightly are you holding the schema of this world lightly or is the system of this world driving you and your emotions driving you into a position that the Holy Spirit has gifted you for singleness? 
That's what he's saying. <laughs> Let me, I got to give you some personal things in my life and, and, and that I have experienced as, as a child of the king. Um, have you ever seen a person, Christians, who were stuck in marriage? Have you? Just what it sounds like. Stuck is something that you don't really want. I mean, if you go take your car off-road, you don't want it to be stuck. All right? Have you ever seen Christians stuck in marriage? Uh, there's a text dealing with elders. If it's an elder, and it says uh, a husband of one wife. And that's, I understand that translation, but that's not the real Greek to it. The Greek to it is one woman man. Okay? I know men who are Christians, well, they take the name Christian, who are not one woman men, and yet they've never committed adultery physically. But they're not one woman men. Okay? Uh, they look a lot. I guess is what I'm trying to, and, and they probably daydream a lot and, 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 and things like that. But they're not one woman men. Okay? Those men are stuck in a marriage. I actually know a woman who is stuck in a marriage. Um, don't, don't go to this church. Don't start sitting there going, I wonder what that means. Okay? But I have seen, now listen, I want you to understand something. Peter, and I agree with Peter, marriage is the grace of life. It's like a root beer float. Marriage is the whipped cream that goes on top of it. Okay? It's the really good stuff. I mean, the other stuff is good, but that's the, that's the whipped cream on top. Right? That's marriage. I agree wholeheartedly, but I've seen some in there who don't think, and they think they got lemons. Why? I'm not sure that they should have married. How can I say that? Because they are stuck. In this marriage, they have regrets of marrying. And the only reason that I can understand why two Christians could be that way is if one or both perhaps had the gift of singleness and did not exercise that. Okay, but I want you to understand marriage is good, but I have seen some that I would say are bad. Doesn't you agree? You guys act like I'm saying a blasphemy. You guys live in a, in a, in a, in a, cave somewhere? Have you not seen couples where you're thinking, good Lord, how did those two ever get hooked up? It must have been a traffic accident. Am I the only one who gets the joy of seeing people like that? Okay. There are people out there that you just sit there and go, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. Okay. You are not a picture of Jesus Christ (laughs) and the bride. Or I hope not, because heaven could be hell. Um, It's not bad, is what Paul's saying. But understand that marriage is permanent. It is permanent. Okay? Uh, Marriage is not bad, but there are some bad marriages. Right? Have you ever seen the clingies? What I call clingy marriages? Am I going to be safe talking about this? I don't know. Have you ever seen it where you got a couple and one is overbearing? And and I don't want you to go do this. I don't want you to go talk about this. I don't need you to do this. And and I don't want you to. And we just. And what? You ever seen those kind? 
We're the one, the one maybe in the, in the guise of, 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 I love you so much that I can't be without you for 10 minutes. I've, I've seen those. Okay, and I can't, and, and, and I share that with you because I hear some say, I want to serve the Lord, but my spouse wants me to be there, you know, with whatever. And, and I've seen it in both uh, genders. Okay, both genders. Um, you know what is fascinating about this? <laughs> The Bible knew this. Did you know that? You can take a spouse, all right? You can, you can take a couple, a man and a woman, and I don't. And it doesn't really matter which one. But the one says, "I would really like to commit time uh, for for the for the prayer ministry," or "I'd really like to commit time for uh, you know maybe to, uh, to to be uh, that thing that I shared with the town of Castle Rock." I really like to commit time to a Bible study. I'd really like to commit time to, but my spouse. Okay, now, some use that as an excuse. I'm not that silly. But a lot of, I have seen it where they said, but my spouse does, you know, this. And you know what is weird? Uh, the Bible knew that. Okay, now, I'll just give you, I'll just read you the text. Um, <laughs> Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 26. Now, we all know, know who wrote this. The wisest man in the world. Okay, but he had all them women, and I'm thinking wisdom is just a fleeting thing. Um, verse 26 of Ecclesiastes says this, and I discovered, now listen to this, I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is a snare and nets, whose hands are chains, one who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Yo, <laughs> what's up with that? All right, now, this text is speaking of a woman, and I have seen this. I bear witness. I have seen this. I have, my wife is not that way. See, honey, I'm thinking. Uh, but it becomes a place where the woman traps the man. And the woman will not allow the man to do what God has called. Okay? He says it's better to be dead than have a woman tie your hands. Okay, now, women, I'm going to use this from a different perspective. Okay? Because it goes both ways. How many women believe they know exactly what their husbands should be doing and are trying to force their husbands into doing it? Okay, you know what you just did? You just fulfilled chapter 7, verse 26. Give your husband to the king and let him do with him as the king wills. Here's the heartache of that. He may have to absolutely crush him to get his undivided attention. And guess what? You have to go with him. He may have to remove everything that he draws his sufficiency in life from. He may have to remove it all. And guess what? You married it. Okay? That's why he says there's a permanence in marriage. 
There's a permanence. You need to be aware of it. Um, I've, I've had a situation one time where uh, the woman was widowed and she was marrying this guy and this guy was a spiritual infant at best if he was saved. And I told her, you are way more spiritually mature than he is, which means you have to go back to square one and come back through. She called me a few years later and said, you know what? I have never had anybody's words ring so loud in my ears on such a daily basis as those words you gave me. See, I can even afflict people when I ain't around. <laughs> okay? We do that. All right? It is... You better be careful. You better be careful. Let me give you another text. The book of wisdom. Just go one book left. Chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. Verse 9. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than to share a house with a contentious woman. Listen, I have seen people, I have seen men, I have seen women too looking for those corners. All right, why? They understand the permanence that they are in. Now, the, now the Bible seems to bring emphasis to the woman's part of this. I don't know why. Okay, now I... I didn't have anything to do with it, but the Bible seems to be bringing uh, the emphasis to it. So it's not that I'm here picking on women. This just happens to be what the scriptures say. Okay. Um, Better to be all alone on the corner. Uh, That's what it says, isn't it? Than to be with a contentious woman. Um, Go on down a couple of verses to verse 19. It is better. I can't read that. <laughs> oh, gee. It is better to live in a desert land than a contentious, vexing woman. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, I, I wrote it down. I said, boy, that's, that's why I praise God. I didn't have a Sunday school class this morning because I spent all morning praying about this. Um, and you know what? I've seen this. What I want you to think about is there's a possibility. Let's say right now you're in love. Okay? You're single and you just are swooning. I'm in love. Do you understand that there's a good possibility all you're going to do is enter into bondage? It's a good possibility. I mean, it's a distinct possibility that all you're going to do is say, tie me up. <laughs> okay? Your will, not mine. <laughs> okay? And all you'll be doing in about five years is saying, where is the desert? <laughs> My kingdom for the desert. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you. He's saying, listen, there's a permanency in, in marriage. Um. Listen, marriage, the covenant of marriage is bondage. Okay? But understand, it's God designed it as a positive joining together. Okay? But it's a distinct possibility it can be a negative joining together. Okay? Our Lord talked about this. 
in the Gospel of Matthew, the 19th chapter. Dealing with divorce and marrying, yeah, leaving, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and, and all the, the problems that that can cause, uh, and all the rest of it he lists out there. But I want you to see, he makes this statement in the verse 9. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, that would be fornication, and it's habitual fornication, okay, uh, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the disciples, now, now let's get to what the disciples say. The disciples say to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, what is their conclusion? Yeah, it is better not to marry. What does Jesus' response to them? He says to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those who have been, it has been given. You know what Jesus basically does with that statement? He acknowledges them. It is better not to, but not all can accept this. Now listen, if the Apostle Paul says it, if King Solomon says it, and if, if Jesus says it, listen, if you're single today, when I say think hard about this, you better think hard about it. Okay? Again, marriage was created by God, and again, we are looking at a charisma. I'm looking at a supernatural empowered gift. Okay? That allows you to stay single. Right? That, I, we got, I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to walk out of here burning up with lust saying, well, I'm going to have to stay single. Okay? But you better pay attention to what you've got, and you also need to deal with the potential that you have right now. Okay? So, basically you see the Lord's response to it. Paul's same conclusion, that the permanence of marriage is a good reason to stay single. Alright? Once, once you're married, the responsibility that you must give to your marriage... And there is a set permanence to that responsibility. Now, you can't get out of it. Um, and, and, and that's what he's trying to get to when he says a wife is bound to her husband, or, yeah, bound as long as her husband shall live. Okay, there's a permanence there, and it's a good reason. Stay single. Okay, exercise what you have right now. Use what you have right now. Now, here's another thing that I see missing in marriage today in America, in the church. I want to talk about the church, basically. Okay? This permanence that is entered into in this relationship is for the spiritual growth of both people, the man and the woman. I see that lacking in the marriages in the church today. Sometimes the woman don't want to hear what the man has to say. Sometimes the man ain't got anything to say. Okay? One of the things that I do uh, when, when we're looking for leadership in this church, if they're married, what is their wife like? Because if he's not meeting the spiritual requirements of his wife, he can't meet the spiritual requirements of the flock or the group that he has been given. The other thing that I find missing in marriage today is there's a lack of friendship. 
They're husband and wife. I mean, they're very intimate with each other, but they have no friendship. And that's kind of bizarre to me. Okay, And part of it is, is that men have an idea what their wife's supposed to be. Women have an idea what their men's supposed to be. Neither one of them's biblical. Neither one of them's biblical. Um, women are told to submit to their husbands. And the first thing that comes out of their mouths are, but you don't understand. Oh yeah, I do. I'm a husband. And guess what? I have a doctorate in making mistakes. But I said that the, the relationship between a man and a woman is for the spiritual growth of who? Both. God said, I made it this way. She submits to you and I'll be you ragged. And she can sit and watch. That's Terry's paraphrase. All right. And the woman says, but if he would have listened to me and God will lovingly and gently tell you to submit. Shh. You can't change him. By the way, have you sought my face in what you would like to change him into? We have a tendency that we know what the perfect husband is. I know what the perfect husband is, and you can't make yours him. There's only one Jesus. All right? And ain't a man around going to walk there. All right, so now we've got that dealt with. What are you going to tolerate? The woman is to submit, submit. But the husband is to do what? Love his wife as he loves himself. Okay, I'll give you, let me tell you something. You tell, you, marriage is only a supernatural institution. One, you can't, men, you can't love a woman as you love yourself. Impossible. Okay, women, you can't submit to men. <laughs> Impossible. Okay, because I've watched you. I've seen you. I'm submitting. Well, I don't think it looks that way, does it? Is your head supposed to be all wrinkled up? Well, he's such a, yep, he is. A sinner saved by grace, just like you. Okay, also women have been cursed with this thing called to desire their husband. All right, it's part of the curse. It has to do with weeds growing and uh, working with the sweat of your brow and women having pain in childbearing and all the rest of it. But the word desiring there, I've heard so many goofy translations of that. All it means is, is that they want to assert the authority of men. Women, that's your nature. Remember the flesh thing I was talking about? When your flesh raises up and he's on the mountaintop in the Shekinah, what does your flesh want to do? Throw his butt off. (laughs) 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 You ain't driving this bus. (laughs) You don't even ask for directions. Right? And this is what he's dealing with in this text. And we really have to grab a hold of this because when you enter into this relationship between a man and a woman, if you go into it and you're not friends, ooh, ooh, that's nasty. Women, I have a tape that if you wish to hear it and want to really, really be convicted, I mean really convicted, it's taught by a woman, And it is called, My Husband, My Ministry, by Heather Ofer. And it's amazing. It's just just amazing. Her sole focus in her life is ministering to her husband, period. 
And women say, but I think I should teach a Bible study. I think I should teach. Let me tell you something. You may get to do that, but if you ain't taking care of the first one, I don't care what you do. Now you're a hypocrite. Okay? That doesn't give men off the hook. All right? So marriage is this companionship. She's my helpmate. And that is the balance that exists in what I call the ministry standpoint. Okay? I am a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a servant to the saints of God. I have been gifted and equipped for gifting and equipping saints. That's basically what I've been called to. God has graced me with a helper. There are times when I will go to my wife and she will look at issues that I'm dealing with from a different view. My wife, is, I believe, is a better gifted teacher than I'll ever be. But she will open my eyes to stuff that I may not be seeing because of my giftedness and the passion and the way that I look at things. And she'll bring me in line and says, you need to look at it straight down this line instead of kind of over on that side to where you're at. And I praise God for her. Why? Because she gives me a more rounded view of it. And I seek her help. Now, the really weird stuff is, is when I seek her counsel, she gives me her counsel. And I say, nah. And I'm going this way, okay? Now, that works great when she's up on the mountaintop <laughs> in the Shekinah, okay? It's a drag when she's down in that valley thing because, <laughs> anyway. Listen, I can share that because if you're married, you, you've got a wife who's been in the, in the ups and the downs and, and all the rest of it, all right? So, but there is a, from a ministry standpoint, there's a oneness of Christ and it is best seen truly in the bondage of marriage. There's a oneness of Christ that is seen in the true bondage of marriage that draws the two together, that they work the way God designed it. Okay? Now listen, this text that I'm looking at right now, 39 and 40, um, is dealing with the basic facts of the union. I'm not trying to deal with the attitudes toward the union. Okay? But the foundation for the union is what is laid out here. Okay? So we can see that marriage is permanent and you stay there. But, It doesn't have to be bad. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at. All right? Remember what he said? There will be trouble in the marriage. Period. Absolutely period. You have to understand that. There will be trouble in the marriage. It may be spiritual problems. It may be temporal problems. It may be emotional problems. It may be, it can be anything. Uh, you're up, she's down, she's up, you're down, whatever. Your flesh gets the victory, her flesh doesn't. Da, 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 da. It can, all of those pictures that happen there, uh, the, the in-laws and the outlaws and all the rest of it that come when the two families have come together. He's saying, understand, there will be trouble, but understand this, even in that trouble, there is a permanence to that union. Okay? And he says, if you have the gift of singleness, think about it. <laughs> think about it real hard. Okay? Ask yourself, are you really seeking the will of God? When, if you're dating, okay, let's say we're dating. Have you sought the counsel of your parents? Have you sought the counsel of the other person's parents? Do you know for a fact this person is saved? You have seen fruit, you have seen holiness, and you have seen God in that person. Have you seen that? 
Then ask yourself this. Why do you want to marry? Right? So you're just dating, okay? You're, you're just dating. Have you sought godly counsel? Because if you choose to marry, <laughs> that's the final choice. Can't go back unless there's death. But understand this, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. It says here, but if her husband is dead, she's free to marry, to be married, to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Okay, this is the same thing you see in Romans 7. It implies that apart from sin... Um, and apart from the fact that the marriage uh, of Christians, there you have to be uh, a, a married to a Christian, there's no way out. Okay? You can't force your way out. You can't manipulate your way out. Once you've made that choice, that's it. And it is until death. Period. Okay? Now, there are some, and I've already dealt with this earlier in chapter 7, there are some cases where both people were not saved. They got married, one got saved. How you're supposed to respond in that? And I'm going to deal with that in a minute, okay? But only in the Lord. Okay, so if you're single now, you only marry Christians. Listen, marriage, I believe, is the single worst place for evangelism that exists on the planet Earth. Okay? When a Christian marries an unbeliever, okay, grab this because we step right into it. When a Christian marries an unbeliever and says, but, you know, they might get saved. Here's what your testimony to that unbeliever is. I'm saying to that unbeliever, Christ is important to me. But he's not that important. Okay, let me give you another text, just in case. I want to show you that God really doesn't change much. The book of the second law, Deuteronomy, chapter 7. Okay, Paul in the Corinthians 10 says, you know what? We've been given Israel, okay, as an illustration of what not to do. (laughs) Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 7, furthermore, beginning at verse 3, furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. Okay, this would be all them ites, the Hittites, the Gezusites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, <laughs> Amorites, Hittites, Jebusites. What a group of people. <laughs> yeah, all right. He says, I just want you to kill them. Just utterly destroy them. Make no covenant with them. Show them no favors. Okay, he wants them to kill their chickens and everything. Anyway, furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Why? Verse 4. For they will, look what he says, this is God's word, and he says, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Got that? Who, gets, who does the evangelism when you have a believer and a non-believer get married? Satan does. He will draw 
the saint, the called out one, away from God. You know what's tragic? Tragic? I've never seen it any other way in my life. 14 years of walking with the king, I've never seen a believer and an unbeliever come together and the believer win. I've never seen it. And the Bible says, no, if you marry outside of God's chosen people, guess what happens? Pull them away. They pull them away. You know, um, you know, I wrote a little footnote here. It says, sometimes in a mixed marriage, some do get saved. Okay? Uh, we have numerous mixed marriages in this church, and I'm praying fervently for the salvation of the lost spouse. I've never seen it. Okay, I mean, you may, maybe you've seen it. I haven't. Deuteronomy 7 says nothing's really changed. The saints end up drug away. It has to be a serious problem because in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says the same thing. Don't be unequally yoked. Why? In spiritual things, don't be unequally yoked. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Marriage is one of the single most spiritual thing you can step into. It is a picture of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But understand this. Marriage is permanent. And you only marry in the Lord. Look what he says here. Verse 40. But in my opinion, she'd be happier. I just, I just like what he just kind of throwed that in there. All right. He uses a term here. In my opinion, I think King James says, I think it's diakio. Okay. Diakio. All right. My convinced opinion is the word. My convinced opinion you will not sway me in this, Paul says. Why? I bear witness to this. And then he says this at the conclusion of verse 40. I also have the Spirit of God. <laughs> you know why? If you've got a Jewish believer in the church in Corinth, he will say, the Spirit has led me to tell you that you should get married because God made it that way. You have a Gentile who comes out of the horrible culture of the Corinth and he would come to you and he would say, the spirit of God indwelling me has told me that you should stay single so you can be devoted. So the apostle Paul says, by the way, I have the spirit too. I have the spirit too. The counsel of God is what he's referring to. And he says, therefore, I'm speaking of something very certain. You will be happier if you remain as you are. Okay? I will give a footnote to that. I'm not adding to Scripture or taking it away from Scripture. If you have the gift. Okay? Let me share with you something. I'm going to close with this thought. Alright? We have some single people in here, and I know. Don't think about them. Don't worry about what they're doing, who they're dating, or should they be dating, or anything like that. That's not what I want you to think about. If you're single today, do you know whether you have the gift? And on the basis of what are you basing whether you think you have that gift or not? Okay, because if you say, but I have lust, <laughs> let me explain something to you. Marriage ain't going to fix that. 
<laughs> That's one of them repentant things. Okay? If you say, I like the physical contact, I'm going to say you're telling me that Jesus Christ in your life and your soul is not enough for you. And then I'm going to give you the last one. Do you believe that right now in your position in life, in your singleness, that you are being used to the absolute ability of God in you for all aspects of spiritual growth and discipleship? Because if you're not, then the issue is not whether you get married or date. The issue is your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you have the vertical relationship right, you'll take care of the horizontal. But we want our horizontal relationship right and think that if I get married, then I will what? No, you won't. If you can't walk absolutely committed to him now single, you never will. Even dating. Even dating. You never do. It's impossible. Why? What's your focus? That's what the Apostle Paul's trying to get to us. And that's difficult for me as a father. Uh, I have two kids who are, are of the age, I guess. I don't know what the age is. I always thought it was like 52. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that you should marry. But I thought driving, when my kids started to drive, I thought they should be at least 34. But... Uh, to drive. Josh, you're in trouble. I've decided that I have text to validate that. Uh, <clears throat> our mindset and our society says they need to find somebody to marry. And i got to be honest with you, I fell into it. I fell into it. Find somebody, quit, get married, love Jesus, and you know. And then I got into this text and I just found out I was wrong. If you're not committed to him now, then today is the day to commit to him now. And if he wants you married, guess what? He knows where you're at, and he'll bring only the perfect spouse to you. Only the perfect spouse. You don't have to go out looking and shopping and, and what is it? The internet dating chat room stuff. You don't have to do that. Why? I am convinced that he knows where you're at. But he don't understand I'm in the I don't care. Use your gift. Okay, now you who are married, ditto. Use your gift. Use your gift. Okay? You who are single this day, today is a day of great rejoicing because we're done dealing with your issue. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. I thank you for what you're doing and how you're getting it accomplished. Father, you are doing amazingly more than I could ever dream. Yet, Father, the world is still against us. The war is on. Father, let us draw upon the strength that spoke existence into being. Let us bow our knee before you, oh Lord. And may your bride only grow brighter and brighter in the gracious time that you've given us. Father, I lift up the singles here. Father, may today be a day of devotion to you and you alone. Father, may you set them free from the encumbrances of 
what they believe relationships will add or add to their lives. Father, if they're gifted for singleness, touch their heart now that they may know that gift. And Father, may they exercise that gift. If they are single now, only awaiting that special person, Father, let them rest in the assurance that not only have you written history, you have written the future. Father, we who are married, may our marriages grow more into the oneness that you have with your Son and your Spirit. And Father, may we die to self, husbands and wives, and that it only be Christ be magnified through our relationship. Father, may we go forth from here as that bright and shining light to a lost and dying world. To you and you alone, my King, in Christ's name, amen.